0: Chapter 7 of Faces and Places. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ruth Golding. Faces and Places by Henry W. Lucy. Chapter 7 A Sink Port. Skulls piled roof high in the vault beneath the church tower supply the only show thing Hythe possesses. There is some doubt as to their precise nationality but of their existence there can be none, as any visitor to the town may see for himself on payment of sixpence, parties of three or more eighteen pence. It is known how within a time to which memory distinctly goes, the skulls were found down upon the beach, whole piles of them thick as shingle on this coast. The explanation of their tenancy of British ground is popularly referred to the time now nearly nine hundred years gone by, when Earl Godwin, being exiled, made a raid on this conveniently accessible part of England, and after a hard fight, captured all the vessels lying in the haven. Others find in the peculiar formation of the crania proof positive that the skulls originally came from Denmark. But Saxon or Dane or whatever they be, it is certain the skulls were picked up on the beach and after an interval were, with some dim notion of decency, carried up to the church, where they lay neglected in a vault. The church also going to decay, the determination was taken to rebuild it, and being sorely pressed for funds, a happy thought occurred to a practical vicar. He had the skulls piled up wall-like in an accessible chamber, caused the passages to be swept and garnished, and then put on the impost mentioned above, the receipts helping to liquidate the debt on the building fund. Thus, by a strange irony of fate, after eight centuries, all that is left of these heathens brings in sixpences to build up a Christian church a good deal has happened in hythe since the skulls first began to bleach on the inhospitable shore when earl godwin suddenly appeared with his helm hard up for hythe the little town on the hill faced one of the best havens on the coast it was as every one knows one of the sink ports and at the time of the conqueror undertook to furnish as its quota of armament five ships one hundred and five men and five boys. Even in the time of Elizabeth there was a fair harbour here. But long ago the sea changed all that. It occupied itself in its leisure moments by bringing up illimitable shingle, with which it filled up all waterways, and cut Hythe off from communication with the sea as completely as if it were Canterbury. It is not without a feeling of humiliation that a burgess of the once proud port of Hythe can watch the process of the occasional importation of household coal. Where Earl Godwin swooped down over twenty fathoms of water, the little collier now painfully picks her way at high water. On shore stand the mariners of Hythe, in number four, manning the capstan. When the collier gets within a certain distance, a hawser is thrown out, the capstan turns more or less merrily round, and the collier is beached, so that at low water she will stand high and dry. Thus ignominiously is coal landed at one of the sink-ports. Of course, this change in the water approaches has altogether revolutionised the character of the place. Hythe is a port without imports or exports, a harbour in which nothing takes refuge but shingle. It has not even fishing-boats, for lack of place to moor them in. It is on the greatest water-highway of the world, and yet has no part in its traffic. Standing on the beach you may see day after day a never-ending fleet of ships, sailing up or down as the wind blows east or west. But like the Levite in the parable, they all pass by on the other side. Hythe has nothing to do but to stand on the beach, with its hands in its pockets, and lazily watch them. Thus cut off from the world by sea, and by land leading nowhere in particular except to Romney Marshes, hythe has preserved in an unusual degree the flavour of our earlier english world there have indeed been times when endeavour was made to profit by this isolation as one of the sinkports hythe has since parliament's first sat had the privilege of returning representatives in the time of james the second it seems to have occurred to the mayor an ancestor of one of the members for West Kent in a recent Parliament, that since a member had to be returned to Parliament, much trouble would be saved, and no one in London would be any the wiser, if he, quietly in his capacity as returning officer, returned himself. But some envious radical sitting on the opposite benches was too sharp for him. And we find the sequel of the story set forth in the journals of the House of Commons, under date 1685, where it is written Information given that the Mayor of Hythe had returned himself. Resolved by the House of Commons that Mr. Julius Deeds, the Mayor, is not duly elected. New writ ordered in his stead. Hythe is a little better known now, but not much and yet, for many reasons, its acquaintance is worth forming. The town itself, lying snugly at the foot of the hill, crowned by the old church, is full of those bits of colour and quaintnesses of wall and gable-end which good people cross the channel to see. In the high street there is a building the like of which probably does not anywhere exist. It is now a fish shop, not too well stocked, where a few dried herrings hang on a string under massive eaves that have seen the birth and death of centuries. From the centre of the roof there rises a sort of watch-tower, whence, before the houses on the more modern side of the street were built, when the sea swept over what is now Meadowland, keen eyes could scan the bay on the lookout for inconvenient visitors, connected with the coast guard when the sea prevented hythe's honestly earning its living in deep keeled boats it perforce took to smuggling a business in which this old watchtower played a prominent part this is a special though neglected bit of house architecture in hythe but everywhere save in the quarters by the railway station or the parade where new residences are beginning to spring up, the eye is charmed by old brown houses roofed with red tiles, often standing tree shaded in a bountiful flower garden, and always preserving their own lines of frontage and their own angle of gable with delightful indifference to the geometric scale of their neighbour. The South Eastern Railway Company have laid their iron hand on Hythe and its old-world stillness is already on bank holidays and other bleak periods of the passing year broken by the babble of the excursionist in its characteristically quiet way hythe has long been known as what is called a watering-place when i first knew it it had a parade on which were built eight or ten houses Whither in the season came quiet families with children and nurses. For a few weeks they gave to the sea frontage quite a lively appearance, which the mariners, when they were not manning the capstan, contemplated with complacency and said to each other that Hythe was looking up. For the convenience of these visitors, some enterprising person embarked on the purchase of three bathing machines and there are traditions of times when these were all in use at the same hour. So great was the influx of visitors. Also there is a bathing establishment, built a long way after the model of the pavilion at Brighton. The peculiarity of this bathing establishment is, or was, when I first knew the charming place, that regularly at the end of September the pump gets out of order and the new year is far advanced before the solitary plumber of the place gets it put right. He begins to walk dreamily round the place at Easter. At Whitsuntide he brings down an iron vessel containing unmelted solder, and early in July the pump is mended. This mending of the pump is one of the epochs of Hythe, a sure harbinger of the approaching season in july the families begin to come down and the same people come every year for visitors to hythe share in the privilege of the inhabitants inasmuch as they never or hardly ever die of late years since the indefatigable town clerk has succeeded in waking up the inhabitants to the possibilities of the great future that lies before their town Not only has a new system of drainage and water been introduced, but a register has been kept of the death rate. From a return published by the Medical Officer of Health, it appears that the death rate of Hythe was 9.3 per thousand. Of 63 people who died in a year, out of a population of some 4,000, 23 were upwards of 60 years of age, many of them over 80. Perhaps the best proof of the healthfulness of Hythe is to be found in a stroll through the churchyard, whence it would appear that only very young children or very old people are carried up the hill. The difficulty about Hythe up to recent times has been the comparative absence of accommodation for visitors. Its fame has been slowly growing as the families have spread it within their own circles, But it was no use for strangers to go to Hythe, since they could not be taken in. This is slowly changing. Eligible building sites are offered, villas have been run up along the Sandgate Road, and an hotel has been built by the margin of the sea. When news reached the tower of the church that down on the beach there had risen a handsome hotel, fitted with all the luxuries of modern life, It is no wonder that the skulls turned on each other, and, as Longfellow in The Skeleton in Armour puts it, then from those cavernous eyes pale flashes seem to rise, as when the northern skies gleam in December. This is surely the beginning of the end. Having been endowed with a railway which brings passengers down from London in a little over two hours, Hythe is now dowered with an hotel in which they may dine and sleep. The existence of the hotel being necessarily admitted, prejudice must not prevent the further admission that it is exceedingly well done. Architecturally, it is a curiosity seeing that though it presents a stately and substantial front, neither stone nor brick enters into its composition. It is made entirely of shingle mixed with mortar, the whole forming a concrete substance as durable as granite. The first pebble of the new hotel was laid quite a respectable number of years ago the ceremony furnishing an almost dangerous flux of excitement to the mariners at the capstan. It has grown up slowly, as becomes an undertaking connected with Hythe. But it is finished now, handsome without, comfortable within, with views from the front stretching seawards from Dungeness to Folkestone, and at the back, across green pastures, glimpses are caught through the trees of the red-tiled town now that suitable accommodation is provided for stray visitors Hythe, with its clean beach its parade that will presently join hands with sandgate its excellent bathing and its bracing air may look to take high rank among watering-places suburban to london but there are greater charms even than these in the immediate neighbourhood with some knowledge of english watering-places i solemnly declare that none is set in a country of such beauty as is spread behind Hythe. Unlike the neighbourhood of most watering-places, the country immediately at the back of the town is hilly and well-wooded. Long shady roads lead past blooming gardens or through rich farms, till they end in some sleepy village or hamlet, the world forgetting by the world forgot in late july the country is perfect in its loveliness the fields and woods are not so flowery as in may though by way of compensation the gardens are rich in roses still there are sufficient wild flowers to gladden the eye wherever it turns from the hedgerows big white convolvulus stare with wonder-wide eyes the honeysuckle is out The wild geranium blooms in the long grass, the blackberry bushes are in full flower, and the poppies blaze forth in great clusters at every turn of the road. The corn is only just beginning to turn a faint yellow, but the haymakers are at work, and every breath of the joyous wind carries the sweet scent of hay. End of chapter 7